Now, if you're new with us this morning, we are going through a series of, through the Lucan parables. So these are selected parables in the Gospel of Luke. And a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that to be human is to be forgetful and distracted. If you're with us, you'll remember some of those examples of meeting someone and immediately forgetting their name. Or being distracted by temporary things and being forgetful about what is important, eternal things. Now, we can also say that to be human is to experience loss. In and of itself, the concept of lostness, the possibility of something or someone being lost, is a reflection of the brokenness in this world, isn't it? We could say that in a perfect world, nothing could get lost. Now, in my reading this week, in preparation for this Sunday morning, I came across a comment about the the word lost. I thought it was interesting. Someone said, apply the word lost to anything, and it will spell tragedy. I kind of worked through that and tried to think of the different different possibilities, and and really I only came up with one sentence uh, that would use the word lost in a positive way. I have lost so much weight since I started eating healthy and exercising. There may be more, uh, but I couldn't think of it. I look forward to the day that I could use that phrase with honesty and truth, not just as an example. I I tried saying the TV show Lost was a great show, right? A positive twist on that. But the ending of the series was such a mess that I'm not sure if it will be a true statement. Uh, If you have no idea what I'm talking about, it's okay. We'll just continue. If you do, we we can talk later. From minor to serious examples, the word lost spells tragedy. I lost my keys. I I lost my toys. Now, depending on how old your kid is, that's pretty serious. That will destroy and turn up your entire house looking for that toy. I lost my wallet. The war was so bad that I lost, or that my friend lost his mind. The infection spread and I lost my eyesight. Or we all probably know someone who had a miscarriage and lost a child. The same goes for a person who lost their battle against cancer. It's a heavy word, isn't it? Loss and therefore, the grief that comes with lostness and loss is human. It's, it's broken. Friends, it's not the way that it was supposed to be. It was not the way that this world was created. Now, to get right into it, the Bible describes all humanity as lost. And so, a, a non-Christian, someone who is not a believer in Jesus, who doesn't believe in the work of Christ, who doesn't follow Jesus, in the Bible, they're not refer, referred to as a non-Christian, They're not called unsaved or or an unbeliever. They're called lost. And listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 19 as he describes his ministry, as Jesus describes his purpose. If you're taking notes, this is Luke chapter 19, verse 10. And Jesus says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. That's what our parable excuse me, our parables are about this morning. 
Uh, they are a sort of object lesson to show the lostness of humanity, the seeking work of God, and, as we'll read, the celestial joy that comes when what was once lost is found. And so our main point this morning, and we'll see it through the text, is Jesus saves the lost, believe and rejoice. Jesus saves the lost, believe and rejoice. Now, to quote one of my favorite theologians when I asked him about this parable, uh, he's an up-and-coming theologian, if if you will, my seven-year-old son, Noah. I asked him if he knows this parable. We read lots of the Bible and Bible stories, but I don't remember which ones. Of course, there's Noah's Ark and all these different things, but I didn't know if he knew the parable of the lost sheep. So I asked him, do you know what the parable of the lost sheep is about? And he lost sheep is about, and he he did. I asked him, do you know what it means? He responded, it represents how Jesus came to earth to rescue people lost in sin. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's, let's pray as we prepare to go to God's word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your ministry. We thank you that you came to us, whether we understand our own lostness or not, or maybe we're on a journey seeing the foolishness of this world and, and we're mindful of our need of a Savior. So, Father, this morning as we, as we come to you, as we gather around your word, would you speak to us? Be big in this place, Father, in our eyes, in our hearts, in our lives. For your glory and for our good, we pray. In your son's name, amen. Now, what we have here are three parables uh, that build on one another. And we'll see that they're connected, and we'll see how it shows different angles of Jesus' teaching. And it's the teaching that he came to bring the lost back home, right, to bring the lost back to God. Look with me to verse, uh, sorry, to chapter 15. Uh, We'll be in uh, Luke chapter 15 as we work through uh, these three parables. If you have your Bible, please turn there. You can follow along on the screen. These first three verses will establish the context, which, as we'll see, without the context, we just won't be able to understand the parables, these ones. Luke 15, verse 1. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. This is speaking about Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. So the the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, thought of themselves as the only righteous people. They, They looked down on everyone else and... More, some people more than others. Uh, We can think of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector from Luke chapter 18. We we didn't cover it. Uh, We we won't in this series, but some of you will know it. Uh, The Pharisee, as he went to the temple to pray to God, he prayed using these words. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy unrighteous, adulterers, or even like, I'm not going to point to Pastor Anwar, like, like this tax collector. Can you, can you imagine you're, you're approaching God and someone's praying and thanking God that they're not like 
you? Right? So if you don't know anything else about Pharisees, you have at least a good enough idea about them now, don't you? Right? All kinds of people were following Jesus and gathering to listen to him, and the Pharisees complained about the kind of people that they were. More specifically, they didn't like that Jesus hung around sinners. So he told them this parable, right? That context is important for us if we're going to understand what Jesus is teaching here. Now, he tells them three, but let's first consider the first. Look with me to verses four through seven as we read the parable of the lost sheep. Luke chapter 15, verse four. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Now, we all know the experience of losing one of our sheep, right? Maybe not. But the point is clear. It connected with the original audience, uh, but, but it does connect with us all, doesn't it? Because we all know something about losing something. The, the, the focus in this parable is, is losing some sort of tangible possession. Now, no matter what you lose, whether it's a toy or your wallet, no one says, oh, well, I don't know if you do it, I'd be happy to hear how your mind and life works. I, 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 I'm fixated on those things, right? You don't just cut your losses, well, I don't, I don't know, it's, it's fine. You, you go looking for it. Now, there might be a time where you say you can't find something, that's different, but if something is lost, you go looking for it. Imagine with me working on a puzzle, and you're down to that last an exciting piece that will complete the whole beautiful whatever picture it is. But it's missing. I don't know about you, but my first thought is, not that I lost it. It's like, I can't believe I got the one, you know, poor copy. that They, they, they messed up. But you look everywhere for it, won't you? And you look again and again under the same spots until you find it. We, we all would. So Jesus, in this parable, doing a lot, and we'll consider it more, but he's showing that you don't look for something that's not missing. You look for what is missing. And a quick point here. We want to know that Jesus is interpreting the parable for us. He connects the lost sheep that's found to a sinner who repents. So, so Jesus is giving us an explanation. Again, we're going to consider more, but let's first go over these other parables. Look with me to verses 8 through 10. This is the parable of the lost coin. Or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Notice the, the first word of, of verse 8. Or, right? This is the same teaching. It's just a different example. 
And again, the lost coin is connected to a sinner who repents. Different imagery, same point. And you'd notice with me a repeating refrain, a sort of chorus, right? There is rejoicing when what's lost is found. I wonder if you've ever called your friends after missing, finding one of your missing coins. Does anyone collect coins? Have you lost something like that? I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and guess that you probably haven't done that. Have you ever invited others to rejoice with you over something, uh, finding something you thought that you've lost? Again, maybe, maybe not. I guess the question is, it depends on how much you prized the object, right? how much the thing that you lost meant to you. Uh, I remember the story as I was preparing here. In the first year of my marriage, I lost my wedding ring. It was missing for four days. It would have been a better story if it was three days and it was like resurrected and I found it. But no, it's, it was four days, right? I remember telling some of my friends how upset I was that, that I'd lost. I, I had no idea where it was. I figured I took it off at night while sleeping because I just wasn't used to wearing jewelry. Up until marriage, this was my first accessory, right? But it was nowhere to be found. I looked everywhere. I, I checked in the same places over and over again. But on that fourth day, I thought to check a spot that I hadn't yet. It was between the mattress and the box spring of our bed. So between the two layers under the be- between the, before the bed frame. I have no idea how I did that in the middle of, this, of the night while sleeping, but I found it. I, I, I told those friends that, that knew that I lost it, I told them that I found my wedding ring. Again, I valued this wedding ring, especially in the first, also very valued my marriage. I wasn't sure you know, that it would upset my wife, and, and they rejoiced with me. And I guess I'm still telling the story 13 years later, right? An item that was lost, that was valuable to me, I found it. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Again, you're going to notice with me a connecting phrase. He also said, which shows that these three are connected. This is a single teaching in response to the attitude of the Pharisees. Now, it's clear when we read the context. You might have heard of these parables separately. Maybe you didn't know that they were right next to each other, but in the context, it's clear. If we separate them, we would have no, wouldn't have known. So look with me to verses 11 through 24. He also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Verse 16, he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am, dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So, verse 20, he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, 
His father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. Then the son son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's remember, sorry, let's, and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, we're not reading the rest of this parable. Which means that I won't cover all the details that we just read. I promise that's harder for me than it is for you. Now, if you've been following along the sermon card, uh, you'll see that next week we're going to zoom in on this story of the lost son, or as some call it, the, the, the prodigal son. Now, it's important to see that Jesus' teaching spread across these three parables. That's why we're looking at a portion of it today. But, but it's in this third parable, Jesus, as we already saw a bit, expands the teaching, and he highlights an additional point. That'll be next week's sermon. I hope you're already planning to be with us next week. Hope you find comfort and rest in a home and a community here at the church if you're visiting. Uh, But maybe you'll just come because you want to hear the rest of the verse. That's also fine. I hope to see you next week. But next week we'll consider the parable of either known as the lost son, the prodigal son, or the parable as we'll title it of the two brothers. What we see even just in the verses that we read, which is the majority of the parable, is as a sort of escalation, both in detail and in seriousness. Right? First, we were just told that the shepherd was looking. That's in the first parable. He went looking for a sheep and he found the sheep. In the second parable, we saw a bit more detail about what the woman did to find her lost coin. She swept up the house and lit a candle and looked around, right? Now in this third parable, things continue to build. There's many more details. We'll also notice that it's no longer an object lesson highlighting a possession that's lost. This is someone's son. So the stakes, the seriousness is higher. In the first parable, the shepherd lost 1% of his sheep, we can say. The woman lost 10% of her coins. Here, the father loses half of his his sons, 50%, are lost. There is greater seriousness in this parable. Now, we have a general understanding of what the parables are saying and how they relate to each other. And so let's now follow this threefold pattern that we saw and dig a bit deeper. Lost, right? Found, and rejoicing. So let's consider first lost. The Pharisees missed this entire thing completely because they missed this first point. Why did they miss it? How did they miss it? Well, it's because they didn't value these people. They didn't see them as lost. And so they didn't see them as needing to be found. So instead of rejoicing over them in in any way, they grumbled. They complained. When we first started the series a few weeks ago, 
four or five weeks ago now, I guess, I gave some opening words about parables in general. What we can expect, why Jesus used this form of storytelling, and, and, and so on. Now, one phrase that is often connected to Jesus' parables is, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Right, that was in the parable of the four, four soils, and we'll see it in others as well. Right, a, a person might hear words that are spoken, meaning you're not physically deaf, but they're not hearing the point. They're not listening to the lesson. They're not able to understand the deeper truths and revelations of Christ that, that Jesus is teaching. Now, not only is the importance of hearing highlighted, but I've also noticed that there's an importance of a right seeing. A right seeing. Remember with me in Luke chapter 7, uh, the parable of the sinner woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears, dried his feet with her hair, and poured expensive perfume. Right? The Pharisee in that story, he didn't see her. He, he saw a sinner who was causing a scene, but he didn't see a woman who has been forgiven of her sins and so is responding in worship. In Luke chapter 12, the Good Samaritan, the Levite and the priest saw with their physical eyes the man on the side of the road, but they didn't see him. They didn't consider his needs or his situation. They didn't see a person who was created in the image of God. But the Good Samaritan did. And his right seeing led to this right response. And so here again, the importance of a right seeing is highlighted. We see that for us to see others rightly, for us to see them as having worth and value, we first must have a right view of God and a right view of ourselves. As we think of lostness, we've already considered that we're all lost, right? That's how the Bible describes all of us. But the issue that the Pharisees had, and this is why Jesus is telling them the parable, is that they only saw these sinners for their sin. They didn't consider that they have needs or value. They only saw them for their mistakes and their failures. They didn't see themselves in that same light. But it's, it's so easy to talk about these characters from a couple thousand years ago. But when we really think about ourselves, we do the same thing, don't we? We can quickly see a speck in someone else's eye and yet miss the log that's jutting out of our head. Right? If someone makes a mistake, we notice it and we expect, hey, you, you should know better by now. How many times have we talked about this? But if we make the same mistake we quickly have reasons and excuses for them, don't we? And so let, let, let's pause for a moment and let me ask you a question. Do you see yourself as being lost and in need of saving? Or do you see yourself as generally good? Hey, Team Jesus is, is lucky to have me a part of their team. Right? Do you see the people that annoy you as people, or are they just the sum of their sin? Jesus is rebuking their hypocrisy and their self-righteousness, but 
We will consider that more next week. Let's continue to that second part. Lost, found. Let's consider found. Again, it's natural. That's the main thrust of Jesus' teaching here, that to look for something that you lost. And you're glad when you find it. And all the more glad, the more valuable whatever that lost thing was. But, but the religious leaders, these Pharisees, weren't only indifferent to these people, they were antagonistic. They were against them. They were forceful. They, they in many ways, hated them. Right? Thank, God, thank you, God, that I'm not like this person. I mean, that's just, just cringe and rude, and I, I can't believe it. You can think that. We all do think that to some degree or another, but I would never say something out loud, especially in the house of God. Right? So we see their heart. And so Jesus was also rebuking these religious leaders because they should know the, the prophecies. They should know the ministry and the joy of the coming Messiah. Right? The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Listen to Jesus' words from John chapter 6 and John chapter 10. In John 6, Jesus says, Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, And the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but I but should raise them up on that last day. In John chapter 10, starting in verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep, but I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. We see the truth that Jesus spoke in John 6 and 10 and certainly other places, come out in these parables, don't we? There's an active searching and there's a search that will always result in being found. Let's pause for a couple more questions under this point of found. If Jesus desires to find the lost, shouldn't that also be our desire? I can think of my five-year-old son, Shia, who loves coffee. Not like iced coffee frappuccino with all the sugars. No, straight black coffee. Now, please don't worry. We don't give him much of it. Just, I mean, on, on occasion and when he really wants, wants to. Every so often he gets a taste. But let me ask, why does, he, why does he love coffee? Because his baba loves coffee. Because I love it. Right? He, he knows the steps how to make a V60 pour over. Why? Because he's done it with me many times. I'm not training him in those ways, even though I, I certainly am proud of his, his uh, new addiction or future addiction, I should say. But he, he wants to be with me. He, he wants to enjoy what I enjoy. Why do I cheer for Brazil and Germany in the World Cup? I'm not half Brazilian and half German. No, my father cheers for them. It's natural to love the things that the person you love loves. 
Let me say that again. It's natural to love the things that the person you love loves. And so our Father's love to seek and save the lost should be a love of ours. If it's not, then there is something off somewhere. Maybe it's in the way that we see ourselves. Maybe it's in the way that we see God. That there is something missing in our understanding of God's heart and his work to save if we don't have any of that desire to see the lost be found. Now, before we get to the third uh, and and last point this morning, uh, let's talk uh, cat video. Just a few days ago, uh, if, if you're a guest this morning, this, this might only be the second time in five years I've referred to cats. So please don't feel afraid. That's not just going to be a regular thing happening here. But just a few days ago, I saw a video documenting the rescue of a kitten here in Beirut. You might have seen it. it was on Live Love Beirut Instagram page. The kitten was stuck in a drain for over 72 hours. When the rescue team came, they spent multiple hours looking for her. Radar and and video technology, I mean, they they didn't hold back. The baladilla came, which is, I won't say anything because this is being recorded, but that's, it's impressive. It's miraculous even, we could say. They came out to help break the road. Lots of people came together to make this rescue possible. And I admit, I, I didn't care much about it. I'd have rather watched a cat video from the three sushi cats. It's an Instagram page that follows the four cats of, of Sam. But as I looked at this video, I was a bit cynical, if I'm being honest. I, I questioned the extreme measures and efforts to rescue a lost kitten. In this country, with all the needs and, and the issues. Now, I did what anyone else who's on social media did, uh, or I think would do. I opened up the comments. I expected others to feel the same way, but I was mistaken. People were moved, emotional, happy, rejoicing. They were thanking the organization and all those who helped to make this rescue possible. On and on, the happy comments went. Now, first of all, I hope cat lovers in the room don't hate me. I I like cats just fine. I'm not a monster of, of sorts, right? Uh, But I asked the question, what what was the difference between my response and all those who commented with joy? We we viewed the cat differently. Right? They hold cats with such value and such worth. And I, I just don't have that same affection or same value that I placed on cats. And so as we think of the pattern, right, this threefold pattern, lost, found, rejoice... Once the cat was found, there was great rejoicing. It's the normal response to rejoice when something that you care about was lost and is found. And so more questions for us. How do we look at those that God seeks and finds? Do we rejoice in their salvation? Do we rejoice in the great work of God? Or do we look at these people as the Pharisees saw them. Maybe how I saw the kitten. Friends, a right seeing of sinners saved by Jesus 
should lead us to great rejoicing. And I love the imagery here of communal rejoicing. And I hope that we see that more here in our church, at City Bible Church, right? When what was lost is found, the shepherd and the woman called their friends over to celebrate with them. When the lost son was found, the father threw a party. Jesus saves the lost, believe and rejoice. Jesus saves the lost. How? Well, Jesus isn't just the good shepherd, sorry, the the shepherd in Luke 15 who goes out to find the missing sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd from John 10 who lays down his life for his sheep. Friends, we are lost in sin. And for us to be found, right? for, for us to be saved, what we need is our sin to be dealt with. Jesus did that on the cross. In order to save us, in order to bring us back to God, that delightful and joyful work of Jesus, the debt that we owe must be settled. The Bible is clear that the payment for our sin, the punishment, is our life. The the punishment for our sin is death, and on the cross, Jesus took our punishment. He lived the life that we couldn't live, and he died the death that we deserved. Friends, that is the good news of the gospel, that Christ has saved us and has done everything we need to be made right with God. Our response is to put our faith in him. We trust him and believe him, and we rejoice Why do we rejoice? Well, it's because we understand that we couldn't save ourselves. And that truth will help us to see others rightly because we realize that we are in the same place as them, as everyone else, sinners who are lost in sin and need to be found and saved by Jesus. And so we rejoice when God seeks and finds them. Why else do we rejoice? Because the work is done. Brothers and sisters, the work is finished. And that's where I want to end our time this morning. On this concept of heavenly rejoicing over one sinner who repents. First of all, how incredible is that image? When the good shepherd leads one of us to repentance and faith, there is a heavenly celebration. I look around and I see many that I know who are believers, who are walking with Christ. Many that I know your story. Emma, when Jesus saved you, the angels threw a party. Merle, when Jesus opened your eyes to see him, all of heaven rejoiced. Pastor Anwar, heavens rejoiced. When, when you saw Jesus as the Savior of the world. Friends, this happens every single time a sinner repents. And for you who are listening this morning, and maybe you haven't yet believed, when, when you put your hope, your trust, and your faith in Christ alone, meaning you're not mostly believing, but think you still have something to do, but you trust in the finished work of Christ alone, angels will rejoice. 
No one will look on you like I looked at that poor little kitten. Why, why them? Why all that effort? There will be rejoicing. Why do they rejoice? I think this heavenly celebration is telling. Right? It's, it speaks of peace and finality. It's, it's, you know, if there is a way for Jesus to find someone and for them to be lost again, the angels wouldn't celebrate. If anyone watches sports, even if it's just like me every four years, I don't really follow sports other than the World Cup. I think I have to with, with, with our children who are growing in their love for every single sport that exists. Um, but it would be like watching your favorite sports team. They're in the lead, and you're excited, but you just don't know until that final whistle or buzzer, whatever it is, ends. Then you know they actually will win. Some people even don't want to celebrate early because they're afraid that might, you know, some superstitious way affect the, the outcome of the, of, the, of the game. If that was the case, the angels wouldn't rejoice. They'd say, hold on. It is Pastor Anwar. Brother, I, I won't pick on you ever again. Just, you're just there. You're in the front row. It's Pastor, it's, it's Pastor Anwar. You know, let's just wait a few years. Let's wait till he gets close to the end of his row to, to, to be able to celebrate. No. They're excited the moment that a sinner repents and puts their faith in Christ. Because once you're in Christ, you will never be separated from him. Their celebration is telling and even more evidence of the finished work of Jesus. When he finds you, he will never lose you. The gospel is good news because it is certain news. It's news of love and grace. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that even though others and, and really many do look on us and look to our life as not having any value or worth, they see us as those who are lost and not worth tearing up an entire house just for one sinner. But yet, Father, you came. You sent your son, Jesus, you you lived in this broken world and took on our punishment because we are your joy. Thank you. And if we struggle to believe that, Father, help us to see you even more clearly. For those who are maybe beginning to see you for the first time, to see the work that you've done, to see the love that you have for them, Father, would you save them? Draw them to you. Rescue them. And show them that they will never be lost again. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.